Hi, I'm Nicole Reyes. Hey, I'm Jose Reyes. Today we're talking with our friend Sergio Lozano. Sergio was a shoe designer at Nike for over 30 years. And a friend for quite a while. Yeah, and no one works anywhere for 30 years anymore. No, but he's definitely somebody who's at the top of their game and a master of their craft. So let's go. All right, I'm taking that from this podcast. We are relationship building machines. I think there's like sort of like like a youth envy. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm under assault that young people are out to get me. I don't want to say that social media is a bad thing. So I want to push back and challenge a little bit. This will be out of it, right? Yes. <laughs> Sergio. Yay. Okay. How's it going, you guys? It's good. How are you? Yeah. I'm doing all right. Sergio, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. This is uh, quite a an honor and a privilege to, to talk to you guys. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know, a few months ago, you and I were uh, chatting, and I was um, trying to hear more about just kind of your your past life. And I love just like when any, anytime I'm with someone, I'm just asking them questions and I don't want them to ever ask me questions. So I'm like, tell me more, tell yeah. me more. That's his strategy. That is my strategy. <laughs> and so we were talking and I, at some point I was like, Hey, so what is, as I was thinking about this podcast, I was thinking, well, what is kind of Nike's mentorship stuff look like? What are they doing? Cause I was curious to see if, it really was just the small agency that just didn't have time to take care of its team, take care of uh, young designers, old designers, that sort of a thing. And I remember you were just kind of looking at me going, yeah, we don't, we don't have anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> immediately Jose came back to me and he said, we have got to talk to Sergio about mentorship. It's not just us. If we can't get it right, like neither can Nike. Oh, I know. So let's start with defining some terms. Like what, what does mentorship mean to you? And then talk about what that looked like in your early days at Nike when you started, when you needed mentors. Okay, that's a great question because a, a lot of people have different definitions of mentorship. Because I think mentorship can happen in all different kinds of ways. Like I think, I think, I was mentored by lots of people that never worked directly with me. They were mentoring me from afar. I was just, I saw the way somebody did something. I saw how they behaved. I saw them in meetings. I saw how they worked. And it's like, you know what? Okay, that, I can learn from that. I'm going to emulate that. So you were their mentee, even though they did not know they, that they were your mentor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They were secret mentoring. <laughs> exactly. And I would pick and choose, you know, I, I'd be like, wait, that person's got amazing skill, you know, from a design and creative standpoint. And then I would see this other leader who was not even a creative. And I would say, wow, that that is just an amazing leader, you know, the way he shows compassion or the way he calls other people out on his team. And it's like, okay, that that's actually really cool. So part of that is just emulating, you know, good leadership. But it's and it's not casual. It's sort of it's sort of intentional. You know, you're like, okay, I'm going to study this person. How how does how does this person do this? And then there's the a little bit more formal, uh, which is, hey, I want you to mentor me. It's like, okay, well, what is it that you're really looking for? You know, uh -huh. it's like, does that mean that we just go grab a cup of coffee, or it's like every week we're going to meet? You know, so yeah, there's there's that too. And what am I mentoring you in? Oh, am yeah. I mentoring you in design? Am I oh, mentoring yeah. you in? I remember doing a um, a talk to a school, and I was talking about mentorship, and then I think it was just like the next day somebody sent me a, an email and were like, hey, you talked about mentorship. I would love to know if you can mentor me. 
And I just wasn't in a place to, to really think more broadly about that. So I was like, oh my gosh, what is that? like somebody's listening out there. Like somebody wants this kind of thing. I totally agree. And you know, the thing, the thing that's interesting is that when somebody approaches you to, to be mentored, say, hey, I want you to mentor me. Like that's intimidating for a lot of people. Yes. On both sides of the question. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, but, but the person who's being asked to mentor it can be very intimidating. First, you know, sort of like, wait, wait a minute, like how I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And really all it is is just like teaching somebody uh, and showing somebody, you know? Because I think that's the best kind of way of mentoring is not just, you know, like I mean, there's, there's a lot to be learned over a cup of coffee or lunch or something like that. But the best learning really happens by showing somebody. There's the other element of mentorship, which is saying like, okay, I'm going to pour into this somebody. Because it's a two-way street, you know? It's just like, how much are you willing to give? If I'm giving you some of this advice or if I'm leading or if I'm trying to direct you in some way, but you're just not really receptive, then you really don't want to be mentored. You just kind of want to do your own thing. So I'm not going to really waste too much of my time, you know? Yeah. Or you want business connections. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is, which is <laughs> a, by the way, a completely fine thing to want. But none of us got to where we are without... The people we went to school with and the people they went to school with and the people we worked with early in our career. So that's incredibly important, but that's different from mentorship. Right. Yeah, totally. Over the years, you know, I've, uh, one person actually just comes comes to mind because like he was part of my team. And so I was leading and managing him, you know, directly. So there's a certain amount of mentorship and leadership and direction that we always have that with people that directly report. Right. But sometimes it's just leading and directing and you're not mentoring because like I, that's why I make it this sort of like distinction. It's like this this one person, like they were hungry. They were they were a sponge, and like everything you said, they're like, okay, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. And then actually did it. And they actually did it, and it was like, oh wow, okay. And it encourages you to actually pour more into them. That's the case for any relationship, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. There is something to. That I think maybe we overthink mentorship in some ways. Like you were talking about, like some of the this, the lessons that you learned were way or from people that had no idea that you were listening. And I think that's really powerful because oftentimes I think we come to mentorship and we think, oh, I need I need five steps to help this person. A when regular schedule of meetings a regular schedule and topics we're going and, to cover at each right, meeting. We're going to cover, you know, like, how are you growing? And that and is a specific type of mentorship. You know, and yeah. And then there's an element of it, too, where it's like, what's most helpful to somebody in that moment is, well, what do they need? What's important to them? You know, and letting them drive that. The intimidating part of it is like, so you, you, we talked about like, oh, what, what can I give this person? But the other thing is just like, I don't have time to do this, right? And so I think is sort of like living as you go and, and working alongside as you go. So if you can do it, it's like, hey, I want you to come to this meeting. Join me to this meeting and then you can kind of see what I do. Like, for instance, um, we would have these meetings, you know, like where we're responding to a brief like that was created from a product management team. And it's like, OK, well, this brief isn't that great. You know, uh, so <laughs> wait a second. Could that so, really happen at the Nike levels? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, creatives always love to talk about like, yeah, this is a lousy brief. <laughs> um, 
but you know, there's there's also really good ones. But so I was just like, hey, c- come with me. I'm going to go talk to this, uh, you know, this person about this brief, and I'm going to, you know, give him some feedback and stuff. Because um, when you're a young designer and you're run- young creative, it's really intimidating to give feedback on a brief and saying this is not enough for us to actually create a really good product. You know, so you you come along and and they see how you can do it with respect but how you're making it not personal you're just saying like you know like again it's just like let me show you you know as opposed to let me tell you and i think a lot of the younger people that i've been with lately like even even outside of work you know just sort of like life and hey you know, like do you mind if we could do do coffee it's like like just stop over and see how i live my life at my at my home you know uh, and, and I think they just want to spend time with you as opposed to just like sitting under your sort of like tutelage, you know, trying like you just telling them a bunch of stuff. Well, when you started at Nike, am I correct? There were 11 designers at the time. It depends on who you ask. I would say there was probably 10 to 12. Yeah. Something. <laughs> I mean, that. yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So and that, just to make a distinction, that was 10 to 12 footwear designers. Right, we yes. did right, have, yes. we yeah. did have apparel designers and we had what we used to call accessory designers at the time, but all together, we all fit in half of one floor, you know, and we had tons of room too. So yeah, it was a it was a pretty small crew back wow. then. So with ten to twelve, we'll say footwear designers. What were you formally mentored at all, or is that something that you found and sought out and and looked at what people were doing and how they were doing it, like you've described? Or was there any at that time kind of formal mentoring? Because a, a team of ten to twelve footwear designers is like a small agency or the art department in mm-hmm. in a lot of places. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, absolutely zero formal <laughs> mentorship. Are you kidding me? When I when I first got to Nike, it was like, and everybody described it the same way. It's like, oh yeah, it's like you just got thrown in the deep end, and then everybody's just looking. I wonder if that person's gonna <laughs> swim or not. Right. I mean, because this is Nike we're talking about, oh, yeah. Sergio. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, remember, remember, this is this is Nike in the very early nineties. So it's like Nike was growing at like this ferocious pace. We couldn't even be like, Nike couldn't even keep up with the growth. Like, so they were just, they were hiring and hiring and hiring. It's just like, they couldn't hire people fast enough. Oh my gosh. You know? There's definitely no formal mentoring. Yeah. Who's got time to put that well, together? And it, and in a way too, this, this reminds me of like all those little scenes in movies where they're like, all right, look to the person to the left, look to the person to the right. <laughs> One, of, One you of you will make not it. be here and make it. You know, so you're like, wait, who's going to, who's going to make it in this team? That's I'm glad so you big. made it, Sergio. I'm glad, right. you, yeah. glad you stuck it out and rose to the top. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's funny because the guy that hired me when I, when I first came, it's like, and you, you'll, you'll never hear this ever like today or oh gosh, when, when, when did anybody hear something like this? They said, we're not expecting much from you. <laughs> So pretty much like the first year or two, we just want you to learn and absorb and just, just kind of like, you know, breathe it all in. And yeah, that's kind of like what it was like. It's just like, you got to fend for yourself. You got to figure things out yourself. Hopefully, I mean, like, luckily it didn't take me that long to kind of, you know, get up and running and hopefully like start making some kind of my own little impact. Some progress. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Was, Imagine if we said that today. I know. Was that was that in, <laughs> was that brutal. freeing for you in some way? I think now, if you said that to someone, they'd be like, "Well, then what am I doing here? I've got I've got things to do." But was that at that time? Was that freeing for you? 
Well, what was nice about it is it took it took immediate pressure off. It sort of sent a message saying, you don't know everything. You have a lot to learn, you know, and just get to know, get to know who we are as a brand, you know, get to know the kind of product that we're actually, you know, kind of creating, which was footwear. Again, like the guy was just completely brand new and green. And I'm like, I've never done this before. And um, so, I mean, it was, it was kind of, I don't know, like there's, there's some people that really thrive in that kind of environment. And then there's other people that just, they, they die, you know, the only level of mentorship really that happened i would say in those early 90s was um i had this one guy who's kind of attached to me really great guy um and i still know him uh, wilson smith he, he was he, he was one of the designers and we just you know he had this amazing friendship and he basically kind of like taught me a lot of stuff that he knew you know uh answered tons of questions um and then kind of uh, the other person that sort of mentored me, like I said, from a little bit from afar was the very famous, you know, sort of Tinker Hatfield. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have questions for you about him, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not <laughs> sure if I can answer him. But so he and he was, you know, obviously he's an icon now um, and uh, incredibly creative person, his process and everything, like his boldness about what he, you know, he did and um so at first it was sort of from afar. And then when I was started working on projects, you know, that were kind of closely affiliated with him, he and I would meet and he would, you know, I learned a ton from him just in terms of like uh, giving feedback and then also just kind of watching him work. Um, so, but formal, formal mentorship, absolutely nothing in those, uh, in those nineties. And, and I think a lot of organizations still struggle with it because it's like, well, how do you, yeah, it's a big struggle for small and really large companies. On this podcast, we're talking with um, lots of people and some of them masters in their craft like you are. And I wonder in most of those cases, they didn't have formal mentorship early on, but they did work with people who were already masters in their craft. And so I wonder how important that is early in your career that you work with people who have a very high standard and high expectations and have achieved some level of mastery in order for you to get that sort of uh, informal mentorship. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're around someone who's so far ahead of you, then maybe you can't help but but rise up. Yep. I think that was definitely the case, I think, for me and several other people, you know, around me at the time. Um, but, you know, it was not what it is now. I mean, I think um, it was tough. It was, you know, like the, some of these leaders, they were they came from a different sort of like um, era, you know, and I'm not specifically talking about Tinker, but but if you think if you think about the influences that their influences, you know, so you had you had guys like Phil Knight and Bill Bowerman. Uh, if you know anything about these guys, you know it's just like they didn't coddle anybody. Right. Well, one was a coach and the other one was the runner, right? So I mean, they came from that relationship, right? And sort of that kind of permeated a little bit of Nike culture, at least you know, in terms of like, um, hey, if you're going to do stuff, you know, you got to make it happen. Nobody's going to make you try to feel good. It was a little bit tougher. I mean, that kind of style. You know, that doesn't work so good these days. <laughs> okay, so I totally, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, okay, so when I think back at that, like, so that, like, Bill Bowerman was a coach for the running team, right, at Oregon State University. 
Mm-hmm. Is that right? Did you just call them the running team? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm an artist. Okay. <laughs> the, tra- the, tr- uh, the track lead? The sprinters? Yeah, the, yeah, the track, track team. Yeah, track and field. You know, those people. Those people. And Phil Knight was, um, was an athlete. And I was just wondering, like, okay, so they're bringing that level of, like, competitiveness and that spirit to this thing. And they've created this. This, this new company, and then, oh gosh, I love to hire athletes. Like if you interview someone who is a college athlete, <laughs> then you know they've got some level of drive and determination and grit, and grit and like that's that. been proven. But over time, like that, there's a point where it's like you need certain things to get everything going and to scale and to grow and to kind of move these these different phases of like growing a business, the sort of proving stage. But then there's a point where you're like you're bringing in all these people, and they're like. That's not how I live life. I don't want to be like yelled at. Right, or you've been working for so long with people who who are aligned with you and with those yeah. values. Yeah. So, right? at what point maybe um, did you see a transition in sort of like the spirit of Nike culture moving from the original founders to it having to become something else to create an atmosphere? where people could thrive in a different way in order for it to grow. Yeah, and did formal mentoring come along with that? Right. With that growth? I think we definitely got better. We got a little bit more organized in terms of just uh, uh, specifically within design. Because there there are, what, 500 designers now? Is that right? Uh, No, there's more than that. There's probably a thousand. Wow. Um, Yeah, across all disciplines. So, I mean, you you name it, you know, it's like all the disciplines of design. It's pretty... Yeah, it's probably the, the world's largest design firm, if you look at it that way. You know, As we grew, just organizationally, we, we, uh, we got smarter because when I was first hired, we didn't really have like different design directors or creative directors across different sport categories. It was like, like I was doing two or three different categories at the same time you know, sometimes four or five, you know, so we were all just kind of stretching all across. And you were happy to do it. Right. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is great. But it was a different sort of wild, wild west kind of fun back then, you know, it was like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do, let's try this. Okay. Let's try that. You know? Um, And everybody was pretty receptive about trying new things. You know, Uh, we were still a relatively young company. Yeah. I was going to say the early days of MetaLeap, which is going back 20 years, our first client was Paste Magazine. And at the time, I look back on that, and I mean, editors were literally sleeping on the sofa in our living room. And, you know, <laughs> interns, once once they got big enough to have interns, were sitting on the floor on their own personal laptops, you know, editing pieces to go online. and With dust bunnies, yeah, cuddling up decks Jose of dust bunnies. Yeah, Jose describes it sort of and... like almost famous. Oh, and yeah. it really was like everyone was just happy, happy. And, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. Right. And just... There's that all that energy. And you're just like, I know I'm working on something important. It's going to be... Amazing. And it's going to be amazing. And I know we already went to point. press, but we really need to add a comma to this sentence. Right. So, fate yeah. of the, the fate of the world depends is on, this, on comma. this clause. And, yeah. uh, that's great. Um, I know. It so was great. You had done an interview um, on Hypebeast, actually, um, with someone, and you had said, quote, I remembered something Tinker Hatfield used to say, used to always bring up while working on other projects. He would say, okay, so that's a great design, but what's your story? Right. And you need these little nuggets that are kind of like the big bricks that mm-hmm. help you direct you as a creative. And so the fact that you haven't forgotten that, right? Yeah. That was a that was a boulder in your development as a designer. Right. Tell us a little bit about like those sort of big moments like that when they came. Were you able to identify them 
is there like a story there that you can share um, that was that was just kind of like, whoa, this is it. This is a big moment. I was doing some of these other categories, and then they wanted me to kind of do, you know, help with outdoor basketball. And like, I'm not now. I'm not a basketball player. You know, I just started creating all these ideas and sketches and stuff. And and, um, and then I just came to Tinker, and I just said like, hey, you know, like. Uh, what do you think? Because I had already shown them, you know, to some other people, some, you know, the marketing guys and, uh, and some of the team. But I remember his his reaction because there was a, there was like two or three shoes that I was designing in this little collection. And and that's kind of really where he nailed me, because it's like all you have is a design on paper. You know, he's like, why did you do that? Like, why did you, you choose that shape versus that? Why did you solve this problem? Like. Why, why, why? I mean, he constantly drilled into everything that you do as a designer, as you create, should have a reason for it. You know, why did you choose that? Why did you, you know, like, why, why, why that color? Why that material? So I had reasons for everything, but they are all mostly functional reasons. And he's like, okay, yeah, that, that functions and that's cool. But how have you brought meaning? You know, what's your story? What's the narrative? You know, on this, why, how are you breathing life into this inanimate object? I love it. You're talking like all of my language here. And it's, it's amazing because you're like, okay, how are you going to bring meaning to a shoe, you know, or any other sort of inanimate object? So anything you're designing. Yeah. Okay. So tell us more. more. But there's someone that's going to interact with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Why, why is somebody going to really want to? you know, wear that and put that on their feet. So one is, okay, I'm going to, I can put it on my foot. I can wear it because I'm going to, I'm going to play in it and it's going to function, you know, and it looks okay. But how am I going to have an emotional connection between the thing that I'm putting on my body? So basically in his really nice and kind way, tossed me out of his office and basically (laughs) said, you got to come up with a story. (laughs) Yeah, and and so I did. I did, and uh, and it kind of forced me to think more deeply, and to actually ground me into what the the three things that I really think about as a designer now. And I, you know, you can wor- use different words, but to me, it's like my my design philosophy is function, beauty, meaning. You know, those three things. It's like, does it work? Does it do what it's supposed to do? Does it look beautiful? Is it aesthetically, you know, like pleasing? And then lastly, it's like, does it have meaning? Like, what's the story behind it? And the story actually provides you a window to the beauty. It's like those are the things that I think when when all those are done right, that's what kind of breathes life into these objects, you know? This podcast has been produced in collaboration with the Society of Publication Designers. Established in 1965, SPD's members have shaped and defined excellence in storytelling for publishing icons like Hearst, Condé Nast, Meredith, The New York Times, National Geographic, and so many more. Whenever you turn a page or share a story online, most likely one of our members has had a role in creating. Through its world-renowned award competition and inspiring programs, SPD continues to expand the world of visual design in print and digital by empowering the next generation of emerging talent. If you're a creative professional interested in joining our community of visual innovators and thought leaders shaping the future of content creation, visit us today 
at spd.org. How critical, just from a formation perspective, was collaboration with others um, helping you arrive at these three principles? Or was this like kind of a Nike principle that was like, okay. Or is this a Sergio Lozano Or is this presets? a Sergio Lozano preaching here and everyone, we're taking everyone to the mountain and we're going to go see the sage. <laughs> <laughs> the sage. Uh, yeah. I, it's, you know, it's probably, I don't know how you can extract one from another. I was, I was, I was there for so long. 31 years is where I, you know, I spent time there. And so not only was I influenced by that philosophy, I also at the same time influenced it, you know, uh-huh. there is sort of like a, um, I don't know, is it a creative code? I don't think it's a code, but um, there's like, Hey, what, what makes up Nike design? I remember back in those uh, late nineties and then, and then into the early two thousands, you know, we said like, hey, you know what? We gotta, we kind of have to document this whole process. Like, what makes Nike different? What is Nike design versus everything else? You know, and you hadn't done that up to that point. <laughs> well, you, we kind of did a little bit informally, but remember, like, we were just kind of growing so fast, yeah. uh, and growing so fast that it was sort of like, whoa, whoa, like, like the '90s were just like crazy years where, like, man, uh, it was like a decade of ferocious growth and. Um, and then kind of by the end of that decade and the beginning of the next, we just sort of like paused, you know, and just like, okay, we got to be a little bit like, you know, now that we're, now that we're a little bigger, <laughs> you know, we've, we outgrew those little, you know, trainer pants. That was cute. Um, now what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, well, we gotta, we gotta figure this thing out. You yeah. know? So how important was collaboration to the growth of the team and the growth of y- your own growth as a creative, as a designer? You know, the way I liked to work was, um, I don't want to say that I was the first, but I probably was a very early person in those years when I started leading teams to do it very collaboratively. Up until that point, everyone was just trying to get all the stuff done and there wasn't necessarily Pretty much. time for that. Yeah. The way things worked back then, you know, was by the time we were kind of in the late nineties, you know, they, there were design directors, um, and uh, we called them creative directors at the time, but now that role really is a design director. And the design director was in charge of a, a sport category. And here's the designers that are part of that. But really, each designer was responsible for their own project. So you got briefed and like, okay, go. You know, each person is kind of on their own um, to, hey, design the best and the coolest thing. You know, that's something that we haven't seen before. I remember that was the, oh, that was a typical brief. You know. It was like something that we haven't seen before, something that looks fast, even though it's sitting still, you know? Early on, I experimented with uh, with sort of this round robin uh, kind of approach. We were going to ask you to define collaboration, but that's kind of the ultimate definition of collaboration if everyone's actually working on the actual same shoe. Yeah, you know, round robin when you play ping pong, right? And you play table tennis and, and it's everybody surrounding the, the, t- the table, and you know one person hits it and you got to put your paddle down right then you go clockwise so like there's like there's 10 people around this one game and so one person hits it and you put your paddle down you you move to the you know you you go clockwise the other person lifts up the paddle and returns it and it kind of goes like this so everybody takes their turn going around right and everybody plays and so it's like nobody wins necessarily nobody loses because it's just fun so how did the team like that <laughs> 
What did, well, what does that look like for a shoe? And then how did they like that not having ownership? Well, here's here's what we did. So we said, all right, um, let's say designer designer X, you know, hey Bill, Bill, tell us about your product. What what is it? What are you trying to do? Tell us the brief and uh, what are the goals of the project? What are your thoughts? You know, and then after Bill's kind of talking about you know uh, done that, he said, all right, everybody. We all picked up our sketch pads and we started kind of sketching and thinking and writing notes and stuff. And then after about 10 minutes, I said, all right, everybody, pass your sketch to the left. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And it would be like, oh, okay. So now you have something to start with in front of you, right? And then you can either add to it or you, if you don't like something, yeah, it's, it's like totally your prerogative. You could change things, add different notes or whatever. And usually we would do that like three, sometimes four times, you know? So, um, and, you know, people would start new sketches and stuff. So by the end of this sort of round robin, it was just a fun way of just creating a lot of different ideas and sketches and thoughts, you know, for this particular designer. So by, by the end of that sort of session, they've walked away with 25 or 30 sketches, you know, that, could be a seedling of an idea and then over over time you know we refined that a lot over time it's like we did we didn't really do the round robin anymore but we did some things that were similar in terms of bringing teams together uh, to work on each other's projects ultimately it's that person's project for sure they're 100 percent responsible um but it gives the the benefit of having you know everybody else's uh, collaborative thinking Okay, so um, all graphic designers who are listening to this right now are sweating bullets because that's and it's so almost antithetical to the approach, um, I think, in general for graphic designers because there's a lot of specificity. Um, and I think even in my years of doing this, um, you know, there's collaboration which looks very different than what you've just described. I'm excited and it also makes me nervous to hear the round robin approach um, because, you know, it, it does involve a certain amount of like being led from a place of real maturity to lead designers who are on a, a sort of a spectrum of I'm confident to I'm not confident and how am I going to be in this space? Yeah. And you have people giving their ideas away to other people, which is wonderfully generous. But then if they're giving their ideas to someone they don't trust with the idea right no that's yeah and that's a thing that that's really a really good observation nicole it's like you have to be willing to always show up and give your best you know whether you get the hype beast page at the end or not (laughs) yeah totally so there was one uh gosh when was this this was early 2000s probably 2001 or two we were doing this exercise and sketching all together and it was one of my projects Right. So I was I was the creative director or the you know, design director for running. Okay. We were kind of doing this and everybody was kind of sketching on my project. And one of our really young one of our youngest designers, you know, that we had just we had he was an intern and, and then we ended up hiring him into our team. So we talked about what we were trying to do and why we were trying to do it. And uh, and he just did this little teeny sketch. It was like really pretty small. Uh-huh. And he put it up on the wall. We all put it up on the wall and we were all just sort of like, hey, so what do you think? What do we think about these, you know? And I would drop people out and just sort of like um, people would respond to stuff. And, and, uh, and there's this little shoe. It was, 
I remember it was green. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he used green, and it was like, I was, and I, I just looked at it, and because it, it got some good feedback, you know, from uh-huh. people, I said, "That's it." Wow. I said, "That is it. That's what we're going to do. That's the design." Wow. So I basically took his design. I said, "All right, dude, this is it. I'm just going to execute basically this this direction." Obviously, there was a lot more work to be sure, done, you sure. know, but but the seedling of the idea, it just he nailed it. You know, it's sort of like you got to also like show a little humility like when somebody comes up with an idea that you didn't come up with it's like okay yeah but that was a better idea yeah, yeah. that's great that's great that's it's openness on everyone's part mm-hmm. right i think that's really required for great collaboration well what do you see now that you're a senior creative now that you're leading creative teams what do you see people want in collaboration now that maybe has changed over the years you know, I think people just like the idea of being part of a team. People want their voices to be heard. They also want to contribute. Um, I think depending on your role, like I don't know what it's like at, at your, you know, at your firm. At Nike and at different sort of, you know, companies, there are certain roles that kind of get a little bit more of a limelight than others. By default, because they are more of the face, you know, of the project get most of the credit out of all everybody else's work. But to be truly collaborative is to how do you spread the love of the recognition for that work, as well as like letting people kind of show up and, you know, and their best self in terms of like their particular focus and sphere of kind of of influence, you know? So it's like how, how do people's voices show up in the project that they're working on? Do they have an opportunity not only to express themselves, but to also to present and to, you know, have people kind of recognize um, the work? The other thing I think that is really important for collaboration, and I think I've heard from other designers, is like, I want to do this because I want to be better. I want to be with people that are better than me and I want to learn from them. You know, I can't, there's so many people that I've like, um, that have left Nike that I talk to. It's like, Oh man, I miss the collaboration. You know, I just miss other people, you know, um, seeing their work and them seeing my work. And it was one of the main uh, things like when we would, we would interview designers that were working for themselves basically they were consultants a lot of them were saying like i'm just dying because i'm alone right right yep yeah what does that look like now in the last three years with people working remotely and a desire for greater remote work talk some about mentorship and collaboration and how you see that changing can it be as good remotely maybe the answer is yes or maybe the answer is no what's your what's your take on that <laughs> I don't know if there's a right answer to that question. Yes, um, please solve that question yeah. for us. <laughs> it will all happen right now. How are we going to navigate this? Because there's definitely things that you leave on the table when you're not together. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. Right. And we've, we've talked on this podcast on, in another episode with Gail Anderson, and we talked with her about the idea of mastery. So if your goal is to mentor someone toward mastery, well, that's a pretty high goal to try and do when you don't get that time to just randomly grab someone and draw them into the meeting. Um, But maybe part of the answer now is that we have different standards for what that looks like. I wish I could give you the, you know, 
the tablets. <laughs> tablets. <laughs> the, 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 the big magic tablets. Oh, yeah. Like I, I just I just don't think there is one. I think everybody's trying to replicate what we used to do, yes. you know, in, right. in the office and just do it at home. Honestly, that's one of the big, you know, as a business owner and a creative who just wants to be able to lead well and knows a certain way. And now with doing, you know, remote work and all that that entails and what people are really desiring, um, where it's, where it's elevating life, mental health above even things like collaboration or your job or what you're after, which is right. Which life is and mental health. That's, that's right. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. You know, but it's like, you go, well, you start looking at the seesaw and it's like starting to look like it's up on all sides and right. it's like a 50 point seesaw. We're trying, trying and, to have the seesaw trying, up on every side. Right. Yeah. And you realize, well, there are things that you do have to sort of grapple with and sort of let go of. And, you know, collaboration is one of those tough ones, I think for creatives, right? Because you, where you get excited and invigorated and inspired is right there next to each other. And the, it, and the energy of it, because the energy isn't necessarily getting replicated through a screen. You might get the ideas, you might get the sketches, but it's, there's that thing, that magic, the spark, I think. Yeah, there's so much of that. I It seems like, I was talking to a, another friend who leads, she leads a studio of interior designers that are working globally at a really high level. And uh, she said her big concern is all the things that that younger designers are missing that we don't yet know they're missing. So the conversation you overhear in the office, the sketch you see on someone's desk, those sorts of things that we just don't know yet. We don't know, like a lot, like a lot of things related to COVID and quarantine, you know, there are a lot of uh, results and changes and things that we just, we don't know yet what yeah. that's going to look like. Um, I mean, I think I like to um, use the, the, the terms cave and campfire. Because I think we all need caves and we all need campfires. So as a creative, you need to go into your cave. I now I got heads down work. I got to focus, you know, and I don't need distractions. So I need my cave, you know. But if you're if you stay in your cave too long, you go weird, right? <laughs> we've it's seen the, like, we've seen and, the movies. We know what happens. Yeah, you go weird and you start doing the same thing. You just, you basically just rely on muscle memory. We used to call it at Nike, we used to call it the shape of fear. Like when somebody would draw the same design on every project, and it's like, oh, that's the shape of fear. And everybody kind of knew Did what everybody's shape it? of fear was. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, and we're loving the cave at home because there's a certain newness to that. Like, I got freedom you know but you also need the campfire so it's like you need to get out of your cave you need, you need to collaborate you need to come out with the team you need to sort of brainstorm and there's an energy that comes there and you get inspired you know uh you got to get out you got to travel you got to figure out what are other people doing out there you know yeah so it's like when even when you're in the office you know there is a cave and campfire and right now i think what we're doing is like we're just it's more of a cave and I think we just need a little bit more of that campfire. And I think there's going to be a little bit of both. Like some of the feedback that I had given um, my leaders at work was, hey, as we come out of this, there's a lot of great things that we learned during the pandemic. Like we learned new technologies. We, we, there's different practices that we did. 
the way we ran meetings were different and the collaborating the way we collaborated was a little bit different there's a lot of stuff like let's keep that yeah you know yep but there's some things that you can't do like there was there was literally things we left on the table i remember having one meeting one or two meetings in person and we were working on we were working on product and it was just a few of us and during that really short time, first of all, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. We get to actually work together. <laughs> we get to see, like we're working on stuff that's right, physical, right? That's right. tactile. All those dopamine hits were going on. Oh, it was so good. And, and there was like four, five, six different bigger insights on this one product that we were working on that I said at the end, it's like, there is no way we would have seen that if we were all at home. I'm really curious just to hear... Um, maybe are there any other kind of myths that you've experienced just in the last few years that sort of need to be broken about how we work together, how we collaborate, how we mentor? Yeah. What do you see that people are believing that that you just see just is not true? Yeah. One thing that I know I, I hate to hear about is like, oh, designers are too sensitive. Um, It's like, no, they don't really, you got to really soft, you know, you got to, you kind of give feedback in a soft way. It can't be too, you know, don't crush them because you're going to crush their spirit. You know, there's a certain sense that, you know, like that, you know, there's some people that kind of think that. But Brene Brown says that clear is kind. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, okay. So maybe more people need to hear her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. More people do. Maybe that, 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 that quite hasn't, you know, like, you know, stuck um one other thing is like that comes to my mind is that oh well design is kind of like a it's just like a spigot you know oh yeah like you can just turn it on just go do yeah. it yeah it's like i can you just throw some design on this I'm like, <laughs> yes. i always say just right? hit the f18 key and be done with it <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, can you, can you, can you, <laughs> yeah, isn't that the worst? <laughs> it's, it's as, and I told him, I, I would tell him, it's like, it's not like we go to a faucet, turn the faucet and design comes out. A lot of things have to kind of come together where the expectation would just be like, well, we just talked about this and tomorrow I'll see some sketches. Like, uh, right. yeah, no, you won't. No, you won't. And so I would do the same thing. Like, like there, there's some things that, like design is not unique. It's like if I asked some person, like, all right, I want you to create a completely different market, you know, for the division that we're in, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> Give me five ideas. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, what you you would need time to think about it. You need to evaluate. You need to do these research. You probably need to travel. You know, you need to like. And then you probably need to go into a cave for a while. Sure. <laughs> exactly. Yes. When I when I hear you sort of start getting to some of these deep truths, I think, about what it means to be creative and what does it mean to to really think well on something. Time is such a component of that. And and we're we're speeding up, I think, this sort of fragmentation, the sort of the anxiety that I think we're all feeling isn't just, you know, the world is on fire, but it's that our jobs are on fire. Yeah, the and, word hustle doesn't always have a positive connotation. Yeah, and we're the ex, the expectation to stratospherically produce every time in 24 hours or even a several days or a week, the pressure and the load that has been put on people 
you know, is a, is really contributing to a lot of things that we're seeing and, and reasons why people are choosing different ways to live, different choices to make in the agency world. Um, and I think as leaders, how do we create spaces that are gonna gonna be different than they were? And I think there's some there's some some moves that really are gonna have to get made. Yeah, and there have to be ways to do things differently that don't sacrifice great design. Mm-hmm. And that's where I want to keep turning the cube because to say it, the seesaw is going to be up on all sides is you know that's a fallacy of logic. So how can we change things without sacrificing the beauty that people like you and Jose are after in the world. It's your gift to the world. It's how you've been made. And that shouldn't have to be sidelined. That's spot on. I think as as leaders and as creative leaders, um, recognizing, you know, when your team or when individuals need like, like, okay, you know what, that deadline's got to, well, if you can change the deadline, you know, I mean, I've did that lots of times with my team. I used to respond as like, well, a deadline, Come on, that's like an artificial date that we we said that we were going to be done, right? Come on, every deadline can kind of be pushed out, and push comes to shove. Almost every deadline, you know, not all, but almost, you know, can kind of be like massaged. What you said before, which is like leaders have to look at what's going on in their team and what atmosphere are they creating. I love what you just said. Like, are you creating a grind atmosphere or are you creating a hustle atmosphere? Um, Sergio, this was fun. This hey, was hey, easy. hey, I, yeah. we can't hang up okay. without Sergio. What was it like? <laughs> like, what? how did this happen that you went from 11 footwear designers and now there are people all around the world with multiple devices open on a sneakers app at a moment for a drop, like losing their minds to get <laughs> the dunks or whatever the new drop is. How, what was that like? I know we're supposed to be getting up. What was that like? Well, it was it was sort of like, yeah, we're not we're not creating shoes. We're actually creating like these things that help athletes do their job better, but that at the same time tell their story and that are actually connected to culture. You know, and that was what we felt like we were doing, uh, and it sort of transcended the fact that it's just a you know shoe. So to me, it's sort of like, oh, when you feel like you're, you're connected to something bigger than yourself, it's sort of like you end up kind of reaching deeper. Basically, it basically created a life of its own, you know? Um, so you can say Nike kind of started something that I would have the privilege of maybe, you know, well, depending on who you talk to, because there's, there's a lot of people that aren't so happy. We kind of started, but then the world, you know, the rest of the world, they just did what they wanted with it. And it became kind of something, a life of its own. Mm. Yeah. You made shoes and everyone else made them, I guess, covetable in a way. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. The world yeah. came in and said, this shoe that you made is now. No, the world came in and said, we need, this is amazing. This yeah. is fun and exciting. And it's helping the story you're telling is helping tell their story. Right. Well, what a great, oh, what a great way to end yeah, here. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for your contribution to the world through all the shoes you designed over all the years. Mm-hmm. And thank you just for sharing your insights here. I think this is going to be so helpful for so many people and um, just your experience and just your wisdom, honestly, that you bring here and how that can be helpful um, to us on our own journeys is is immeasurable so thank you it was a it was a pleasure and honor 
to uh, actually sit down with you guys and just have this chat. So thank you. In our next episode of Right Mind at Work, we'll be speaking with Davian Lynn Hopkins. It's our responsibility to kind of put forth that initiative to show that, A, I am capable of being here and doing what you need me to do, but also that you should be able to kind of trust that maybe I can bring something, you know, maybe I can offer something that isn't present currently. This podcast has been brought to you by the Society of Publication Designers and MetaLeap Creative, edited by Sound On, Sound Off, and produced by MetaLeap Creative. This has been Right Mind at Work. Right.